1993, there was a movie uh, by, entitled Groundhog Day. Anybody ever seen that movie, Groundhog Day, right? And I both loved the movie and I hated the movie at the same time. Uh, I hated it because every time I met someone new, they would say things like, oh, your name is Phil, like Punxsutawney Phil, right? Punxsutawney Phil. And to this, yeah, thank you very much. And to this day, that joke is living in my own Groundhog Day movie. It just keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over. Oh, Phil, like Punxsutawney Phil. And each time I have to pretend like it was the first time I heard it. <laughs> You're so smart. In all honesty, though, I actually did. I love the movie. I actually love the movie. You know, Needleholes Ned. Needle. Yay! Remember? Anyways, I'm only... Does anyone else like that? Anyone seen the movie? Okay, thank you in the back. Thank you over here. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I love the movie mainly because it seemed to fulfill a fantasy of mine as a piano player. I grew up playing the piano, and I remember watching it, and I just said, that would be so cool that in what would seem like one day for everybody else, I could take all the time I needed to become an expert at the piano. If you remember the movie, he starts taking piano lessons, then by the end of it, he's like playing all the blues and stuff, right? Remember that? And from that time, you know, on then, I always I thought that was so cool. And you see, because from the time I was five up to the time I graduated as a music major in, in college, I took piano lessons. And if any of you have spent any amount of time learning to play an instrument with a teacher, anyone ever take lessons, right? You ever take lessons? If there's anything that is frustrating, that's absolutely frustrating, is nailing a song in practice. But getting to the lesson and what? Absolutely falling apart. And if you're like me, you're like, I swear, I got this part. Anybody else feeling that? All of you people who, who have no music experience, just thank, thank your parents that they didn't love you enough to give you piano lessons or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, the beauty of getting to repeat every day is that you could literally have no fear in the outcomes of your decisions today if tomorrow you had the opportunity to alter the same decisions so you could have a better outcome, right? I mean, there would be no fear if you're like, man, um, literally anything I do today doesn't matter because tomorrow I get an opportunity to what? Do it again. And eventually you would know exactly what you were supposed to do to make the most of every decision because you literally were able to try all of the options with the promise of another chance tomorrow. Now, obviously, that's the movies. Nobody gets to do that for real, okay? Unfortunately, since the beginning of time, today always seems to become history as fast as the future becomes present, right? Today always becomes history as fast as the future becomes present. And with the weight of today and the burden of tomorrow, it's no wonder that the burning question in most people's minds at some time in their life is, what's the right thing to do in this decision? What's the right thing to do in my life? Or, or, or the more important question is, what am I here for? Right? The age-old question. Like, what, what am I here for? And for those of us who follow Christ, we get our cues from God through the scriptures. That's what we know. But even though our purpose is clear when we read the scriptures and when we understand the gospel, which is really this idea of increasingly, as we like to say around here, this idea of increasingly submitting all of life to Jesus as master and savior and to help others do the same, even though that's really clear, 
How that plays out in the details of our everyday lives is a little less clear, right? It's just a little less clear. There's a little bit of fuzz around how that actually happens. And if what I'm describing feels like your life, if it feels that there are times where you just are at wit's end at trying to figure out God's will for your life, then today is good news for you. Because our passage of scripture allows us to look at how the history of the church, and really this is what the book of Acts is about, it gives us the chance to look at how the history of the church, and more importantly, what the scripture tells us about who God is, so we can find some clarity on what it looks like to understand the will of God in our lives. So let's dive in and take a look at our passage of scripture today. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It says this, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, let's just stop real quick. Uh, if today is your first time with us or first time in the wild, what you may not know that those of us who have been taking this journey through the book of Acts may remember is that the, at the end of Acts chapter 15, just the previous chapter, a guy by the name of Paul wanted to go back to some of the churches that he and another guy by the name of Barnabas, that's the they, they had planted in their first church planting journey. For those of us who have been around the block when it comes to the church, we always refer to this as Paul's first, what, missionary journey, right? And of course, that didn't go well, if you remember, because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, right? At the end of there, it's like, hey, I want to take John Mark, but Paul was like, what? No way! That guy deserted us before we even finished our mission trip. And so Barnabas was like, well, I'm not sure it happened like you remembered. He's not that bad of a guy. And eventually they decided to part ways because they couldn't agree, right? They couldn't agree. And we talked that week about how uh, even among believers, there are times where we could just vehemently disagree. I don't even, did I say that word right? Vehemently disagree because that's what Paul and Barnabas, these are like uh, heroes of faith. They vehemently disagreed with each other. And we talked about that. And so what happened was Barnabas, uh, they decided to part their ways. And Barnabas actually uh, went on a separate trip with John Mark. He took John Mark to Cyprus. And Paul chose a guy by the name of Silas. And they went up through Syria and Cecilia. Or Cilicia, sorry. Now, for those of you who want to get a visual about what we're talking about, because it's, sometimes it's hard for me to explain that, just so you know, if you go to my.clarity.church, and you look on that front page, you'll see a little map of the missionary journeys. And in fact, I encourage you to just go ahead and look at that because it'll, it'll be really helpful. Some of the illustrations that I'll give to you, I wish we had a screen because I could just show it to you. But you should pull that map up because the original readers, when they read this letter, they knew what was happening here just as much as someone who, who lives here knows the difference between someone traveling towards Corcoran versus someone heading towards Coon Rapids, right? We know that, like, for those of us around here, we know the difference between going towards Coon Rapids, which is north, and Corcoran, which is what? West, right? We know that. We know the difference. And so uh, that's helpful for us, but it's not helpful for us if you don't understand the geography. So it's really helpful. Just why don't you go ahead and pull that up? So while Paul was the one who suggested going back to the churches that they planted, you'll see in that little illustration, their first missionary journey went from, uh, went from started over here, and then it went, because if I'm looking at you, it would be from here, and it went this way, and then it went up and around, right? You'll see how that first missionary journey went. Barnabas appeared, so it said in end of chapter 15, he what? He went back to Cyprus. This is very interesting. 
it looked like Barnabas was the actual one who was following the same church planting journey. And if you look at the map and try to interpret Paul's actions, what does it look like he's taking on the second missionary journey? Where is he going? He's going which way? Up! He's going up. And it looked like Paul was basically... <laughs> if, and now I'm reading into it a little bit, so I'm, I'm taking a little liberties. But if it were me, based on the argument they had at, at, at the end of chapter 15, it would seem to me that Paul was like, look, I said let's go visit all the churches uh, that we planted, and you're going to take that guy, John Mark, John Mark. Uh, you know what? Fine, you go. You go. You, you go the same way. We go. I'm going to go a different way. I, I, I'm just going to go around the opposite direction, and then maybe we'll meet in the middle, and maybe hopefully time will pass by, and we won't be as mad at each other, right? So that's what, to me, that's what, that's what it looked like Paul did. He's like, fine, you, you go. You go take the boat. Go to Cyprus. I'll just go around, and I'll meet you somewhere in the middle. One commentator writes this in his commentary of this passage of Scripture. He says this, On this occasion, Paul's intentions had probably been, after visiting the churches planted in South Galatia by Barnabas and himself, to continue along the westward road to Ephesus. Okay, so he would have gone up and then across. Or if you're looking this way, it would have been this way. But the Spirit forbade him and his associates to take the road. So here's the thing. As we start this passage of Scripture, the plan was to visit the churches that they had planted. But here in verse 6, it seemed like God's plan and their plan were not on the same page. They missed the mark. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like you had some plans and it just seemed like God wasn't on the same page with you? You're in good company. Now, you're even in better company because this isn't the first time just in these few verses. Take a look at this. <laughs> verse 7, it says this. So we had strike one. Here's verse 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, so <clears throat> catch this. The plan was that if the Holy Spirit wasn't going to let them go through Myasia, then maybe they were supposed to go north. And how did that go? <laughs> Do you know anyone who tries to go in the opposite direction of where you intended to go when things don't go their way? Do you know anyone who's really extreme, who just like, you know, things didn't go my way, fine, I'm just going to go. You know, I wanted to go visit all the churches down south, and you know what, fine, let's go to Bithynia, because it's up north, it's opposite, and you know, <sighs> anyone, you know anyone like that? You know anyone like that? Do you know? Yes, you do. You're, you're, you talk. Like, I read this and I'm like, oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. And then I'm like, oh, that's me. I, I know I'm like that. I can relate. I get it. Because one of my favorite verses as a person who's kind of wired like Paul, one of the favorite verses in my life that I've had to use over and over and again to kind of, <laughs> to kind of center me Away from my own ambition is uh, Proverbs 16.9. You've probably heard me say this before, but it says this, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
If you're keeping track, Paul is zero for two. (laughs) And he is zero for two specifically on trying to figure out what God's will is for him. And does it get any better? That's the question. It's got to get any better, right? I mean, it has to. One, two, three. We we can't have a strike three. Well, let's find out. Verse 8 says this. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Now, you have to look at the map again. Look at where Macedonia is. Geographically speaking, this is a big deal that a Macedonian would be like, come over and help us. It was the land across the water. I mean, think of it this way. Who is the person across the water from you politically, socially? Who's across the water from you morally? Imagine that person that just looks across the water. And then imagine God himself in a vision placing that person saying, come over and help us. That's kind of what it was like, if you can picture yourself. Let's go on. Crossover mess and help us. Verse 10. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts. We immediately made efforts. We immediately made efforts. There's a lesson to be learned there. We won't go into that quite that much today, but I stress it. So maybe you could take a look at it later. We immediately made made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. When it says concluding, that meant before they concluded that preaching the gospel to the Macedonians was probably what? Not a conclusion. <laughs> like, sometimes I think when you read through the scripture, you, 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 we can think like, oh, God was always for everyone. Oh, John 3, 16, God still loved the whole world. And you have to understand, as we read through the book of Acts, we begin to be part of this wonderful journey of the disciples themselves learning that the gospel was for everyone. And I don't know if, how I can communicate in any other way to make you feel that awe and that wonder, but the, but the people who first read this would have, would have gone like, oh, that's right. That was that, that was that time. And as we read later, you're going to find out why many of the New Testament churches and many of what we consider to be the scriptures is here because Paul and Silas decided to conclude to align their lives with the will of God and even go across the water (laughs) to Macedonia. So Macedonia is a radical shift in plans. Remember, the original plan was what? To go back to the churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted, but that did not go as planned. So then plan B was put into place, and, and plan B was maybe a response to the sign that God was shutting the door to plan A. So they said, okay, we're gonna go down, we're gonna go what? Up. And how did that go? Door shut. Door shut. Isn't it frustrating? Isn't it frustrating? And and listen, they were on a mission trip. (laughs) It wasn't like they're going on an excursion, okay? They weren't like vacationing and trying to figure out where God's will for them was going on vacation. They were literally trying to do the will of God. And how many times in your own life where you feel like you're just trying to do what God wants you to do, and every single time you go a certain direction, you're like, bam! Like, God, what are you doing? Okay, fine. I'll go this way. (laughs) Oh! Is it, am I, does anyone ever feel like that? I feel like that, like, a lot, okay? And as we look at this, God was leading them on a path 
in hindsight, that they could not have prepared for. And when it is all said and done, it will actually be a path that was, listen, greater than they could ever imagine or even ask for. Remember what I just said. This becomes a trip that ends up becoming greater than they could have ever imagined or even asked for. We'll talk about that more a little later. Over the years, we've often talked about what it means to understand God's will in our lives. This, of course, makes sense. There have been many times in my life where I've wrestled with the question, you know, am I making the right decisions or am I putting my energies into the right things? It feels like these almost eight years of being Clarity Church has been this continual question, like, are we doing the right things? Are we putting our energies in the right place? Are we, are we doing the right things? And if you're human, I'm assuming you are, like me, I'd be willing to bet that there are times in your life where you've had these same type of questions. Am I making the right decisions? Am I putting my energies into the things that actually matter, the right things? And this is probably why all throughout the scripture you'll find passages that have to deal with the struggle of trying to understand God's will. For instance, there are many passages like these that allude to the inability of us to grasp God's will. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says this, Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman. Now some of you are like, well, we do know those things now. <laughs> okay, it's contextual, right? So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Romans 11.33, that, if that just bugged you, like scientifically speaking, like... 11.33, Romans says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible, how impossible, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. <laughs> Sometimes the reality of life sounds like that, doesn't it? Like, oh, how impossible. Like, God, for real, what's going on here? But there are also passages like these that tell us God desires for us to actually gain understanding. Proverbs 3.13 says this, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. Colossians 2, verse 2 to 3 says this, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, obviously, understanding God's mysterious plan is the idea of understanding the gospel. Specifically, that's what this verse is about. But it's very clear that all throughout Scripture, God desires that we would have understanding. So there's this dichotomy of like, you know, I can't understand God's will. I can't understand God's will. And Paul believes, think, Paul thinks I can't understand it. He said, it's impossible. But then over here, I've got, I've got like verses that say like, you know, gain understanding. Joyful is the person who has understanding, right? And so like, what am I supposed to do? How are we supposed to reconcile this? So how do we gain these treasures of wisdom and knowledge? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, the best explanation I know of comes from a book that scholars often refer to as wisdom literature. 
And you have probably read this verse in your life. Some of you, it might be a life verse. It might be something that you had to memorize as a kid. Uh, maybe, maybe, it was some, maybe it was something on a bookmark for you. And so I'm going to read this. And some of you are going to go like, oh, I already know where he's going with this. Well, great. You come up and preach. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So I've got a few minutes here. I just want to kind of break this down for us. The, this passage of scripture just gives us the opportunity to talk about this idea of understanding God's will. And I think it's very important for us because no matter how many times I have talked about this and read verses on this, I need to be reminded of this. And I don't know if you need to as well. But let's just remember what the scripture teaches us regarding what it means to gain understanding and to have our ways be made straight by the Lord. Verse is this. If we want to understand God's will in our lives, if we take a look at this verse... It starts with what? Trust in the Lord. We have to trust the Lord. Now, <laughs> I get it. Some of you are like, wow, this is really creative exposition. I mean, Phil, we could have literally just read the verse. And, well, that's the point. <laughs> we need to be reminded sometimes to trust the Lord. Because listen, Paul had some plans. But over and over again, it tells us that God, by his spirit, ordered his steps. And that may seem like nothing big, but you have to understand that unless Paul follows God's leading, despite the plans that he had, listen, unless Paul was not only blocked by the spirit, but led by the spirit, because he trusted in the Lord, if this didn't happen, guess what? There would be no church in Philippi, and therefore no book of Philippians in the Bible. There would be no, if you look at that map, look at his second missionary journey, look at where he goes. He would, there would be no church in Thessalonica, and the Bible we read today would have, we would be without the two books called First and Second Thessalonians. There would be, if it wasn't for the fact that Paul trusted the Lord, and he was led by the Spirit. There would be no church in Berea where we get the word Christian, where the first time people were referred to as Christians, first time followers of Jesus were referred to as Christians and followers of Jesus like me and maybe like you, if it wasn't for this church in Berea, would probably just be called still followers of the way. You know, and as much as people don't like the word Christian, followers of the way sounds like something out of a Marvel comic. So I appreciate the church in Bria instead of being calling the followers of the way. Maybe that's, maybe that's actually cool. We should start. We should start. Followers of the way, church. That's probably somewhere. Probably somewhere. And listen, there would be no church in Corinth. And the Bible we read today would not have the two books of first and second Corinthians. Like, check this out. You understand the impact of what it means to be someone who trusts the Lord? And sometimes trusting the Lord getting, means getting smacked by the Holy Spirit who says, uh-uh, ain't going that way. 
sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit takes you on a journey that you did not expect <laughs> and leaves you looking back in the rearview mirror going, wow, what happened was something beyond I could imagine and even ask for. There are many times in my life where I desperately want to know God's will for me, but when I read this verse, I'm reminded, me to ask, I'm reminded to ask myself, do I trust God right now in my circumstances? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. No matter what you're going through, sometimes when you're thinking about your decisions, you're asking like, what's the right thing to do if I do this, if I do that? A equals B and B equals C and this and that and it. But sometimes I just need to stop and I'm like, when you're getting overwhelmed with the decision, you just need to go like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In this, am I actually trusting the Lord? I don't know about you if you've been following Jesus for a while, but when I actually remember that God has proclaimed this over my life, to trust in Him, there's a peace that comes, even if I still don't have the answer to the question that's in my mind, that God is faithful. God is faithful. And I don't know if you're going through anything where you're desperate for God's wisdom and understanding, but if you are, before you ask yourself, God, why aren't you blessing my decisions? I want to preach the gospel in Bithia. Don't you want that, God? Maybe you should ask, am I trusting God with my life, with my whole heart. Proverbs 3 also says that we need to not lean on our own understanding, which tells me that there is a way I'm prone to do things <laughs> that aren't the way God wants things to be done. If the scripture has to tell me not to lean on my own understandings, that means my own understanding is probably what? It's, <laughs> there's something wrong with it. Now, sorry if I offended you, Mr. Know-it-all, Mrs. Know-it-all, okay? But sometimes you don't know it all, okay? And you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not on your own understanding. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us this. There is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. <laughs> when you put this and what Paul says in Romans together, you come away with a very clear understanding of how a person can understand God's will. Listen to what Romans 6.23 says. So wait, Proverbs tells us there's a way which seems right to a person, but the end is what? Death. And then here's what Paul says. For the wages of sin is, guess what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul would go later on to say through Jesus Christ our Lord means, guess what? Trusting in Him. So first, if we want to understand God's will in our lives, we must be people who trust the Lord. But we also need to not lean on our own understandings. In other words, if we want to understand God's will in our lives, we, remember, we, need, to, we need to remember that uh, uh, we need to embrace a life of repentance. And we talk about this all the time, about this need for repentance, even in the believer's life. Because trusting in God is what we do with our hearts. Trusting in God is what we do with our hearts. But repentance is choosing in our minds. You've heard me say this before, right? Cho choosing with our minds to do what? To change 
directions, to literally change who is God in our lives, to change the, the, the way we're going. That's what repentance means. It re- means to change the direction of our decisions. It's turning from living life our way and living life in obedience to God's way. So here's, here's the question. How does a person change their mind? Like, how do you change your mind? How do, you, how, do you, how do you change your mind? I like to explain it with this one word. One word. And, it, and it's going to be, I'm going to say it and you're going to be like, oh. But it's the only word I know to say. How does a person change their mind? Clarity. See, told you. Clarity. Clarity. Specifically, clarity on what God's word has to say about who God is what he's done, and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. And I know <laughs> this answer can seem so disappointing <laughs> to some people because we read stories like the one we read today, and we see God speaking to Paul in a vision, right? And this vision's there, and it's super clear, and it's like, oh, how do you ignore that? And like, you know, oh, come on, God, why don't you do that for me? Like, why don't you give me a vision in the night and speak to me about where I should go? And then, you know, then I'll be able to do what you want me to do. But the truth is that God has spoken super clearly. God God chose to move on the hearts of 40 individuals over the course of nearly 1,600 years who wrote letters and recorded biographies and wrote poetry. Little did they know that God would take what they wrote and and weave them together in one complete story of his dealings with mankind, a story that we call the gospel, the number one bestseller people call the Bible. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a, listen, new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, we want answers to the big questions in life when God is most likely just saying, hey, I know you, I know you want the answer to that really, really big question, like that really, really big question that could change everything. <laughs> um, how about you just deal uh, with the sin in your life that you already know breaks my heart? How about you just... Obey the things that I've already told you, like that you know. You want God to help you make the right decisions so you can have healthy relationships, but maybe you, for, you refuse to forgive. You, maybe you want God to give you a generous heart, but you won't stop allowing your own selfishness and greed to keep you from being a good steward of your finances. And so you spend more than you make, and then you can't be generous. Then you wonder why, like, oh, I wish I could be generous. Not only with your time and your money, but your energies, you say things like, oh, I wish I could give my energy as much as that person. Well, maybe you're not being a good steward because you're not obeying what God has already said about how to steward your energy, your time, your resources. Maybe you're someone who wants to have a blessed marriage someday, but you won't stop living in sexual immorality. 
When we take the time to allow God to transform our thinking through his word, his ways become more evident to us. One of the reasons that we have the scriptures is so that we can understand the guidelines that God wants us to operate with clarity. The Old Testament songwriter said it best when he wrote this, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light, right? So to my path. Does anybody, nobody knows that song? Okay, thank you. I just felt really weird singing the Bible and nobody was joining me. So we know that, right? So there you go. Okay, okay. I just, I was the one with the microphone, so I couldn't hear you. My bad. So to sum it up, if we want to understand God's will in our lives, we have to lean into trusting God with our lives and then lean into a life of repentance. And I know that doesn't sound very super specific, and for some it may seem too cliche. Trust God, okay. (laughs) Not lean on my own understanding, okay, I'll read the Bible, okay. But listen, it's the point I'm trying to make because many people, I think, and I've, you've heard me say this before, it's something, it's not even a, something that I came up with, it's something I stole from another pastor that has been a mentor from afar, but the reason why I say these things is because too many times people believe that God's will is a blueprint when God's will, in fact, is a game plan. If you follow any sport, you know that there's a game plan, right? Play football, you know, there's game plans, there's plays. I coach high school soccer, and when it comes to playing the game of soccer, there are a ton of different options and decisions that can be made in the course of a game. Of course, there's still boundaries. There are rules that you have to observe. There's an actual area where, it, like, if you put the ball in a certain area, it is a goal, and then if you don't, it's not. You can't just be like, oh, goal, like, Dude, the net's over there. Yeah, but I want that to be the goal. So, oh, right? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. So there's still some boundaries. But listen, there's a lot of freedom on the field. There's a lot of freedom on the field. And God's will is not a blueprint. It's not a detailed schematic of where every part of a construction project is supposed to go because, you know, local state guidelines require this and this and that. You can't use this. You have to do that. It's not a blueprint. God's will is a game plan. He has established boundaries and rules we are instructed to stay within. But listen, for a lot of it, all he's asked that in the way we purpose the rhythms of our lives, we would just do it while trusting him and while leaning not on our own understanding. And for that, we need God's spirit and we need God's word. But we also need one more thing. In his commentary of this passage of scripture, one Bible scholar gives some insight to a major theme of this passage in a way that I couldn't really say it any better. So I'm just gonna read it because I read this and I'm like, oh, I'm going to totally preach that. And I'm like, wow, he he actually said it really good, so I'm just going to read it. This is what he says. This is the same passage of Scripture we're reading, okay? He says this, It's easy to trust the Spirit's guidance when the way is clear, but it is not so easy when we are being led down seemingly endless and unfamiliar roads. 
This is why fellow pilgrims are necessary. Paul never travels alone. He is always in the company of others. In the individualized culture of the West, it can be tempting to think we must do everything, or at least try to do everything on our own. The lone ranger, the notion of a person who works mostly alone is still a powerful imaginative story in the American mindset. It is not, however, a Christian mindset. Tertullian, an early Christian writer and apologist known as the father of Latin Christianity, is attributed with the adage, unus Christianus, nullus Christianus. One Christian is no Christian. May we be called individually to Christ, but we are not solitary Christians. No one can be an authentic Christian in isolation. There is always, quote, one another, or, quote, together dimension to our relationship with Christ. Whether we are apostles or prophets, young, old, married, or single, house builders or homemakers, professors or poets, resting or working, worshiping or washing dishes, failing or succeeding, we live and grow in communion with others in the body, Christ. In community, in the fellowship of other believers, we learn to know the fellowship and leading of the Spirit. Occasionally, the Spirit may direct us individually through dramatic vision or prophetic word. More often, however, we are led through a growing and deepening conviction that is discerned as we walk and talk, as we pray and play along the road of life together with others. That's good. If I was to put it in my own words, if we want to understand God's will in our lives, we have to trust the Lord with all our heart, embrace a life of repentance, and we need to be in community with others in the body of Christ. Here's the thing. As life after COVID becomes a reality, as summer vacations and as family trips fill our schedule, I want to remind us not to forget that God's will in our lives is accomplished when we are living in community with others who love and follow Jesus. I think most people who are followers of Christ would love to have the prayer that Paul prayed in this letter to a church in Ephesus. They would love to have this prayer come true. It's this prayer that goes like this, Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Ooh, that sounds good. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Oh, I'd love to have Christ make his home in my heart. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Yes, I want to be strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Oh, yes, I want to know God's love in that way. May you experience the love of Christ that is 
too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of light and power that comes from God now. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. I mean, man, doesn't, isn't that a, wouldn't you love that prayer to come true in your life? Like that you would have the power, that you would have the strength of God in your life, that you would know his love so deep and down. You, you, would, you would know the, 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 the heights and the depths and the, 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 the all-consuming nature. Wouldn't that be a great thing that our church would exude those realities? Wouldn't that be a great thing? And if that sounds like a prayer you would like to see come true in your life, that you would love to see come true in this church, just remember, just remember, if Paul didn't trust the Lord with all his heart and embrace a life of repentance in community with others, we would have no Ephesus and therefore no letter to Ephesus which says, now to him who is able to accomplish infinitely more than we are able to... Think about that. And so as we seek God's will in our lives, I pray that we do not forget to seek God's heart. As you seek his will, don't forget to seek his heart. As you seek God's direction in your life, I pray that you don't forget God's commands. And as we seek God's presence in our everyday life, I pray that we do not forget to include God's people in the rhythms of our everyday lives.